0: Luke 13, 22 through 30. And when he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem, then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up, and hath shut the door... And ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, "Lord, Lord, open unto us." And he shall answer and say unto you, "I know you not where whence ye are." Then shall ye begin to say, "We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets." But he shall say, "I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity." There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when she, ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, these are the last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We just ask you to just open our hearts and our understanding to this message. Be with Pastor as he uh, delivers his sermon, Lord. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: Chris, you're doing just fine. You all don't know what it's like being up here and uh, having to say stuff. And uh, and it feels like every time you make a little mistake that every single person noticed. And I'm only saying that because uh, the only time people notice is when you stop and call attention to it. And uh, But uh, I sure appreciate you, Chris, for doing this and uh, helping out with the singing and the, and the scripture reading. But uh, I just wanted to uh share you know as a church we we ought to give grace amen it's uh it's tough i got to come up here and say a lot more things and uh and sometimes i'll say i've said some very very stupid things and now now we're doing live stream and so uh, all that stuff's going to be out there forever and uh, yeah i've said some actually blasphemous things unintentionally attributing things to jesus that i didn't mean to attribute to jesus and so you just never know what you're going to say all right but uh We're praying for God's guidance and help today and His grace. Uh, We'll get something from His Word. Here in Luke 13, this is a very uh, uh, sobering text. Jesus has been with these people, and He's he's dealt with some difficult issues the last few weeks as we looked at. uh, He talked about uh, repentance. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And he talks about these uh, different aspects, and so someone asked him the question. As he, no doubt, this student of Jesus is sitting there pondering, and he asks this question: uh, "Lord, will there be few saved?" And uh, you know, thinking, you know, surely Jesus is going to may- maybe back off and say, "Well, you know, it's not quite." Hey, boy, if t- if he was a modern-day preacher, by the way, <laughs> would there be few saved? He say, "Well, you know." And, and, and walk it back a little bit, but Jesus kind of uh, uh, drives the point home even further, and is something that we ought to consider and, and, and bring our attention to today uh, with this, answering this question. I think it's just as relevant of a question today as it's ever been, Lord, will there be few saved? Will there be few saved? You know, when taking a road trip, oftentimes you kind of look for, uh, for landmarks. Uh, how many of you on the way to Anchorage, there's certain things you just kind of keep an eye out for to kind of maybe uh, encourage yourself on this super long drive, you know, one of the points you might look for is that, uh, uh, that uh, igloo hotel that never turned into anything, and uh, we say, ah, oh, we're, we're over halfway, you know, or, or there's certain points, you know, my family we like to go to, in Wasilla, we like to go to Evangelos and have ourselves a pizza, and uh, if you've not had pizza from Evangelos, uh, you're missing out, but uh, um, we kind of do that, and uh, we're actually planning a trip here soon, and, and Carrie put together a road trip bingo, and uh, some things to look for, you know, uh, uh, different animals and, and things, and, and, you know, as we're, as we're kind of journeying with Jesus along the way, there's certain points that, the, that, that should, should cause us to stop and draw attention to these landmarks, if you will, and I think these are one of those uh, a, a landmark here in, in this text, Lord, will there be few saved. Now, you know, keep in mind, uh, make no mistake, the, the goal of this journey, the end point, is Calvary. He, he came to die, and he's heading toward that cross, and he's been doing it since the beginning. And we've already seen uh, several indications. He's telling his disciples, uh, you know, that, that this is why he came. He's going to be taking the hands of sinful men, and, and, uh, and he kind of keeps reiterating these points. And I love the times when he does it, you know. It's usually when they're squabbling about some kind of carnal thing, like, Lord, who's going to sit on your right hand, and who's going to be on your left hand? You know, and they're talking about all these things, and he's like, guys, don't you understand? I'm going to die here soon. You know, there, there, there's some other things going on that you don't understand. Uh, but one of these landmarks, or you might say a travel note in the journey, we saw in Luke 9, verse 51. You don't need to turn there, but it says, And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he should be received, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That was about six months prior to the cross. We're now within about three months of him getting to the cross. And he still has his face steadfast as he's heading toward Jerusalem. Since chapter nine, uh, Luke uh, has told us of the time of the feast of the tabernacles, which is the end of September or so, to the to the feast of the dedication, which takes place at the end of December. And and during this time, Jesus ministered in and out of Judea, and and uh, and on his way to Jerusalem, he, he's 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 going to a point. At one point in his ministry, he was uh, was uh, present for the Feast of Dedication, it says in John 10, verse 22, and it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. He he had been to Jerusalem for a very brief time for this feast, but now he's he's heading toward there. This this last visit, this last journey to Jerusalem would definitely be his last, as he's heading towards the, the whole fruition, if you would, of his earthly ministry. Our passage here finds Jesus in the last three, three and a half months of his ministry and the events recorded in our text uh, this morning uh, uh, take place in eastern uh, Jordan River or in uh, uh, Perea, that's where we find ourselves. And it's, and it's out, of, uh, uh, um, out of reach of those who are plotting to kill him and here in Perea Jesus will make his final descent uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus now finds it necessary to leave uh, Jerusalem and for, for, Judea for a time, and he he kind of campaigns outside of there. And and uh, had you know while he was in Judea, he profoundly stirred the people. Many of them came with the miracles and the feeding, and and uh, and had stirred a lot of people and casting out devils. And he was doing all these things, and he kind of comes out uh, just for a little bit. And uh, but an antagonism of his enemies had grown, and more bitter, and, uh, and they're starting to plot against him and so forth, and that's, that's where he finds himself. He crosses the Jordan, he's over there in, in Perea continuing his ministry. As Jesus continues to warn of judgment, which, which we saw, he talked about this coming judgment, he talks about, except you repent, you shall likewise perish, and he's laying all this stuff out, this, one of his uh, pupils, if you would, one of the students as he's here teaching the people comes up with this question. Lord, our Are there few that be saved? Now, I think that's a very fair question to ask. When you think of the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ, for example, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man cometh to the Father but by me, Jesus said. That's very exclusive. And we think of today in our pluralistic culture and, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter which road you take, as long as you're genuine, as long as you're sincere, it's very easy to step back and say, wait a minute, if Christ is one of, if Christ is um, a way, I'll just put it that way, he has to be the way or else he's wrong because he claimed exclusivity. So you got to step back and say, wait a minute then, Jesus, does this mean there would be few saved? But not only that, but you think about all those people that have been following him and listening to his teaching, as he even illustrates in this passage, which we'll look at more closely in a minute, but he said, "They uh, said, wait a minute, we ate with you. We followed you. And, and no doubt this person asked this question, uh, he had to have been sitting back and analyzing and assessing, thinking, wait a minute, there were days when we had high numbers, but then on this day, maybe there might have been some less people or, or, or whatever the case may be as he's kind of looking and he's seeing the response of people that a lot of people are listening and a lot of people are inquisitive and, 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 and paying attention, if you would, but, but maybe this person had some, some, some insight where he, he looked at this and said, you know, not everybody's getting this. Not everybody's buying in. You know, I've been there pleading with people. Begging them to come to Christ and, and, and looking at them and the, the glazed over look in their eyes. You know, I'm just, I'm here because my parents made me come and I'm just waiting for this time to be over. You're like, are you not getting this? The urgency of it and the, 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 the gravity of this. You know, I think we could ask this question today are there few that be saved? When we look around us in our generation, I think of. People following after different cults, different religions, and different groups. I think when you consider demographically, in this worldwide scale of almost 8 billion people in this world, and the majority of those live in the 1040 window and, and many of them have not even been really even exposed to the gospel. You think of people chasing after, uh, after uh, idols and I think of uh, the, the Hindus who have over a million gods and in fact there's so many gods that most of them just kind of pick a few to be experts in. <laughs> we'll just worship these ones. And I think of, uh, I, was, uh, I heard from a missionary one time to Thailand and he was over there in uh, uh, a big city in Thailand and during different seasons... There are different temples that would emphasize certain things. You could always tell when it was finals time in the university because all the university students would come and bring offerings to one of the idols. Around Valentine's Day, people would bring a bunch of roses to another one of the idols to, to try to help their chances of, of finding love. And there's all these superstitions and all these religions all around the world. And we look back and we, we have to ask this question are there, are there only few that are going to be saved? I think even within Christianity, how, how there are so few that, that, that can give you a clear definition of even what is the gospel and, and what is the gospel that saves? And I have to step back and ask the question are there a few that be saved? It's amazing, just like I think in Jesus' day, many, there are many followers, there are many of those that kind of look to Jesus and, and read the Bible, and, 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 but, but I think there are many that don't fully buy in. What we might even call a fundamentalist. One that takes God at His word, believes the Bible. This morning I was getting ready and I <clears throat> was kind of doing some things around here at the church and I just had uh, playing on my phone a, a live stream of a... Of a church down um, down in california this uh, uh uh he's actually he's a spanish pastor and you know a lot of churches will have an english church with a spanish ministry this is a spanish pastor who's got such a uh, large ministry he has a english service as a side ministry and uh, but a very just tremendous man of god and and he was uh, sharing a message this morning just burdened and he was talking about uh how few have a truly biblical worldview, and it's so evident. It's kind of ties in a little bit with what we've talked about on Sunday nights. It's so evident that just look around us. What we see going on right now with the rioting and all this, all these things going on in Lower Forty Eight, and we we ask ourselves, you know, where are the pastors and where are the churches and and, uh, and that really have a biblical worldview in these things and have made an impact in these communities. Where, where is it? And I think what we've done is we, we've so catered to our culture that, that to do that, we have to kind of uh, uh, step away from the Word of God a little bit, and we're saying, well, y- yes, sort of. We can hold up our Bible and say, yeah, those things are true until it hurts your feelings or until it crosses your worldview. And if Jesus was today's modern preacher and he says, Lord, there, are there few that are going to be saved? Uh, we'd probably say something like this, like when Joel Osteen was on Larry King Live and he said, well, you know, I can't really judge men's hearts. You know, everyone has to kind of figure that out on their own. And are you, you know, he asked him point blank. He said, do you believe that those that believe different than you are going to go to hell? Well, I can't judge men's hearts. And uh, listen, you don't have to judge men's hearts. He's already judged. And here's what the Bible says. Our job is to proclaim truth. You coward. Not you guys. I'm having a conversation with Joel Osteen right now. <laughs> I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Do we stand on it? Are there few that be saved? You see, that question and the answer to that question should, should bring an urgency To not dumb down the gospel, but to bring a clarity of the gospel out in our lives, in our families, to make sure they understand, because the reality was true in Jesus' day as he's there with those people, and it is the same reality today, are there few that be saved? Jesus was on his journey, and this was a very purposeful uh, journey that he's on, and look at verse 22 again. And it says, and he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. First thing we see as he went, he was, uh, he was teaching. As he's heading towards Jerusalem, we understand that that's the destination. That's where he's headed to is Jerusalem. What was he doing on the journey? He was teaching. He was going about and he was teaching about salvation. He was teaching truths about the kingdom. He was proclaiming about his deity. And uh, in fact, in, in uh, John 10, verse 41 and 42, and many uh, resorted unto him and said, Jesus did no miracle, but all things that, I'm uh, sorry, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake, of this man were true, and many believed on him there. Talking about John the Baptist pointing those to Jesus. He didn't do any miracles, but they believed on Jesus because everything he said about Jesus was true. But Jesus went about teaching, and he went traveling. You notice what it says there, again, 22. and It says, they he went to the cities and the villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. The word there, uh, 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 journeying, is the, is the word for kind of pursuit. He had this end in mind. Now, many of us, I think, it, when it comes to these kinds of things, we, we have an end in mind and we think, I'll do my job when I get there. And, and, and what's something that's just amazing about Jesus is, is the destination with him. Yes, that was very important, but he didn't want to waste the journey. So, you know what he did on the journey? He taught, and he shared. I think about that time he was trying to get through the crowd and he was trying to get on to the next place and, uh, and through the midst of all that, this woman who's, who's, who's in the crowd just had to get to Jesus. She had an issue of blood all these years and she thought, man, this is my last chance if I can just touch the hem of his garment and as, he, as he's traveling through and no doubt his disciples are around him trying to push through the crowds and, uh, and she touches him and He stops. He perceived virtue had left from him. And what does he do? He doesn't say, you know, you're welcome and keeps going. No, no, he stops everything because this woman was important. And he doesn't, you know, yes, he's on a mission. Yes, he has things to do. And, you know, I've been guilty of this. We get so uh, mission-minded trying to fulfill the things that we have going on that we miss the opportunities around us. And I want to say be careful, folks, because you know where you're at today in your job? You're a missionary? Don't get so focused on the job that you lose sight of your calling. I've seen it. And let me just say, jobs can be stressful. And I've seen Christians completely blow their testimony and profanities flying and frustration and all these things and stop for a second because that job is not the end it's a means to an end you are a missionary you are a representative and ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ don't miss an opportunity because you have this end in mind you have to get to no no the journey on the way is part of it so don't miss those opportunities I remember my wife and I, we were on vacation one time. And uh, we were privileged to lead a few people to the Lord. And I was just so excited about it. You know, some people got saved as we were on our vacation and we were able to witness. So I just shared about this praise report on Facebook and and thought, you know, this is wonderful. One of my friends gets on there. And who's going to disciple those people? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm on vacation. I can't witness to anybody because I can't be there to disciple them. What a, what a stupid statement. And by the way, unbeknownst to him, I actually passed their information on to a local church so that I could follow up with them. But that's besides the point. You're telling me I shouldn't witness if there's no place to point them? If they got saved, they got the Holy Spirit, and they have access to the Word of God, they're going to be okay. But we can get so focused on the things that we're involved in, and the things that, were, that, that we miss the point. And here Jesus, he's yeah, he's got his, he's fixed on Jerusalem, and he's no doubt thinking about the cross. It's only three months away. Has he has he done what he's supposed to do? And no doubt he's thinking, Do my disciples get it? Are they ready to be let go, and to do the mission I've called them to do? Have I taught them enough? Do the people understand he's no doubt thinking about these things, but as he's going, you know what he's doing? He's taking his time, and he's teaching. And he's not missing these opportunities. And what a, what a tremendous example from the Lord Jesus Christ that, 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 that it's not just the end, and it's not just the journey, but on that journey, there is, a, there is a plan, and there is something we must be about, the Father's business. So what's he doing? He's teaching. And He's traveling. Everything Jesus did was deliberate. This constant movement was not pointless. It was uh, positioning Christ closer to the cross. But as he was going there, he's making sure his message is emphasized. What is it all about? Matthew 9, verse 35 and 36, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sick and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. No doubt Jesus, as He was looking, saw all these people. He's thinking, there's no one to lead them. There's no one to spiritually guide them. Obviously, at this point, He had no confidence in the Pharisees. No confidence in the temple. He saw all these people and they were scattered. I believe it was fulfillment of what, G- what God talked about in Jeremiah's day when he said, uh, my pastors, and they, these were the spiritual leaders back then, and he said, he said, they're not feeding my flock, they're not seeking after me, so what's he going to do? God says, I'm going to scatter their flocks. So he looked and saw the people as sheep scattered abroad, having no shepherd. There's also a wonderful promise back there in Jeremiah where he says, I'm going to give him pastors after, according to my own heart. And no doubt as Christ established his church, and he gave pastors, and he gave the Great Commission, and he said, go out. And he's trying to, 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 to get people back on track and leading them and guiding them in the Word of God. No doubt there was, I believe, some, some foreshadowing in, in his mind as he's looking ahead. His heart breaks. He sees all these people. All these people for whom he's going to die. And he had compassion. Look at verse number uh, 23. Then said one of them, Lord, are there few that be saved? And, he's, and then he's going to share his response. But there's no doubt is a question of concern. And since Jesus was teaching his people the way of salvation, the person who asked this question ha- had to have been wondering, you know, how many are going to be saved? Am I going to be getting in on this thing? The word saved there means to be delivered as, you know, uh, uh, in this context uh, uh, of having their sins covered, if you would. You know, he's basically asking this question, are there a few that are going to be in heaven? Are there a few that are going to escape hell? Are there a few that are going to escape this wrath, this judgment that you just spoke about? The question raised was not about deliverance from poverty, as some that teach a social gospel might say. It wasn't about deliverance from poor self-esteem. It wasn't about deliverance from illness or sickness. But Jesus was preaching about deliverance from sin and the wrath of God. When the man asked, are there few that would be saved? He was asking, are there, are there just few that are going to be delivered from this judgment that you've been talking about, Lord? Romans 5, verse 6 uh, through 10 for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies... We are reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You know, there's nothing you and I could do to earn salvation. Jesus did it all. It's a free gift of God. During the Spanish-American War, uh, Clara Barton was overseeing the work of the Red Cross in Cuba. One day, Colonel Theodore Roosevelt came to her and wanted to buy food for his sick and wounded Rough Riders. But she refused to sell him any. Roosevelt was perplexed and his men needed, uh, needed help and he, and he could not buy supplies. And he, told, uh, he was told, Colonel, just ask for it. And a smile broke over Roosevelt's face. Now he understood. The provisions were not for sale. All he had to do was simply ask and they'd be given freely. That's what the Red Cross is all about. And what a, what a tremendous illustration. That's, that's the gospel invitation, folks. And you know what we do? We love to complicate it. We love to throw all these other things in there. And It's such a, it's such a valuable gift. Certainly I must do something to get it. It reminds me of, uh, of, uh, of Naaman, the, 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 the Gentile general who had leprosy. And he was told, why don't you go see the man of God? Go see the prophet uh, Elijah and, and see what he can do for you. And he goes down there and, and, and the prophet doesn't even come out. He sends his servant, and he says, here's what the man of God said. He said, go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times, and you're going to be clean. And he was so upset, and he went to walk away. And uh, luckily, he had a faithful servant. And say, he said to him, if he told you to do something difficult, something tough, you'd go do that. It's just a simple task of di- dipping yourself in the, in the Jordan. Why don't you just go do that and give it a try? What do you have to lose? You know, I think sometimes we look at this thing and surely, surely it's not that easy. Surely there's it's, it's got to be something more to this. What do we do? We start adding to the gospel. And let me just say, uh, an inflated gospel is no gospel. When we've added to it and we've put uh, works on it, we put all these things apart from Jesus Christ, we've distorted it. And as, as Paul says in Galatians, uh, talks about another gospel, he says this, which is no gospel. This other gospel is not the gospel. These things of adding, adding things to it, that's not the gospel. It's freely given, given. So he's saying to Jesus, Lord, teacher, are there only few that would be saved? This burdened him? And by the way, that ought to burden our hearts. We ought to be concerned with people getting saved it ought to burden us when there are not more being saved. They don't burden us when, when there are not more understanding the truths of the Word of God and understanding the gospel and, and trying to get it. Let me just say this. The gospel is the most important thing in your life. Everything else pales in comparison. Pales. That's the reason Jesus came. was for the gospel. He died and rose again to give us the gospel as we just read in Romans 5. We are reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. It's the most important issue of life. So He begins to answer the crowd. Although the question was asked of one individual, Jesus replies to the entire group that is there. And by the way, He always has an answer for the sincere seeker. You know, we, we serve a God that not only has the answers but will give the answer. I love it. You know, you can go and stand outside the tomb of the Prophet Muhammad and say all these prayers and ask for wisdom and ask for direction and you're not gonna get anything. You can you can meditate till you're blue in the face. And, and, and in front of a statue of Buddha, and, and looking for direction in life's uh, purpose and all these things, and you're not going to you're not going to get uh, direction. But my Bible tells me in Second Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, mature, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He's got the answers, and he's given us everything we need in his Word. And we can go to him and we ask the author, what what, what do you mean by this? What do you have for me today from your word? And he says, let me tell you, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is is understanding. And and, and he gives us everything. We we have all we need, the Bible tells us, for life and godliness. We have a God that not only has the answer, but he gives the answers. Two of America's greatest presidents had a high regard for the Bible. George Washington stated, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Ronald Reagan said, Within the covers of one single book, the Bible are all the answers to all the problems that face us today if only we would read and believe. Let me just say, we need answers from God. I want to say this, our, our political leaders need some answers from God. We ought to be lifting them up in prayer, and I thank God for, 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 for where our country is right now, with, with the leadership He's given us. I thank God for Mike Pence. And the influence that he's had on our president—he's a God-fearing man who knows the Bible. And uh, when I was in D.C. a few months ago, and uh, you know, we came back and we were all dispersed. I've not been able to talk to you guys in person much about it, but we did. My wife and I put together a video of uh, our time there and testimony. But I got to meet some, uh, some. We have some. There are some very godly senators out there and congressmen, and, uh, and I'm finding out about the Bible studies that are taking place on Capitol Hill, and the Bible studies that are taking place on a regular basis in the White House with our president, and I thank God, and we need more of that. If we would have the attitude and the mindset of, of the days in early America as they gathered around, they won, they won the war, they won the Revolutionary War, and America almost fell. America almost fell after winning the war, Because 13 colonies represented could not agree on anything. And they got together and they were arguing and they tried to put together one form of government and that that was going to fail and no one could agree on anything. They were arguing and arguing and arguing. Then one wise old man stood up and whenever this one man stood up, people would listen. And his name was Benjamin Franklin. And he stood up and gave one of his most famous speeches. And a portion of this speech is very well known. But in that speech, he quoted scriptures 13 times. And he stood up and he said, ladies and gentlemen, if a sparrow can't fall from the sky without God taking note of it, could a nation rise without his aid? And there in Congress, they got on their faces before God Almighty, humbled themselves pleaded with God for His grace to be shed on this nation. And out of that meeting came the longest standing constitution in history. Would to God that our leaders would get back to the need for God and the need for His guidance, the need for His wisdom and direction. Folks, you and I, we need answers. And, and, And I really hope that the only time you open your Bible is not when you come to church. I hope you open it up Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday because we need answers. We need guidance. We need direction. You know, what's a, you know what's a shame? There are churches that don't even open it on Sunday. Folks, this has all the answers. It's the only letter God ever wrote to man. And it's for you and it's for me and it's profitable. We've got to get into it. We've got to find the answers. So God gives his, his answer, and he gives his, this message. Look at verse number 24. I turned the page somehow. There we are. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. What a question is asked to the many that would come in. You know, when, uh, when a question like this arises, those of you who've been teachers, whether it's Sunday school class or teaching your children or, or what have you, every once in a while a question arises that is the, just the perfect question for what we'd call a teaching moment. Jesus was an expert at, uh, at uh, capitalizing on teaching moments. Because when a question like this comes up, There's a root behind it that the wheels are turning and this person is thinking. The heart is ready. You see, you know know what we do with our children? We ask questions, prompting questions, because we have no clue what's going on between those ears. But when they all of a sudden will ask a question, you're like, ah, they're thinking. This is now a teaching moment. So what's Jesus going to do? He's going to capitalize on it with the crowd all there and not just answer this one person, but answer the whole crowd. And so he gives this message. First of all, it's an individual decision. Verse 24, strive to enter the straight gate. The word there, strive, it, it means to agonize. To, to, uh, it, Jesus, by the way, is not teaching we earn our way of salvation, but, but that we are challenged. Uh, it is a challenging and difficult for a sinner to, Uh, due to to, to many dangers of false teachings out there, how salvation is attained. You see, there are so many voices and so many philosophies and so many things pulling us this way and that way. He's saying, strive to get it right. Strive to make sure that you've made the right turn to get into this straight gate. Because, folks, there are a lot of decisions. There are a lot of choices, a lot of things pulling for us. Well, what about this idea? What about this philosophy? What about this thing dangling over here and and, and trying to pull us every which way? I want to say this. The devil loves religion. He loves it. I'd say he's the father of it. If he can get the water so muddied that we can't discern which possible one could be the right one, I'd say he's won a great victory. Warren Wearsby on this uh, portion of Scripture, said this. Once again, Jesus took took an abstract question and brought it down to concrete reality. The question is not, are there a few that will be saved, but will you be among the saved? The word strive means to agonize like an athlete. That does not imply that we are saved by hard work because we are saved by grace when we trust Jesus Christ. Rather, it warns us to avoid an easy, complacent, theoretical attitude towards the eternal destiny of the soul. I'm going to read that one part again. It warns us to avoid the easy, complacent, and theoretical attitude towards the eternity, eternal destination of the soul. If we fail to take salvation seriously, we may find the door shut and somebody else taking our place at the feast. You see, some may say things like this, like, I'll worry about that on my deathbed. You know, one day I'm going to get it all straightened out. One day I'm going to make things right. Or, or, or you, know, uh, you know, well, you don't understand. My grandfather was a preacher. So I have a family heritage. You don't understand. <clears throat> and we put all these things to put it off to later. Or we put it off on somebody else. And when, when, when all of Scripture keeps, it always brings us back around. And Jesus especially was very masterful at this. Brings it back around and he says this. What about you? What about you? See, it's an individual. It's, it's something that every one of us must take seriously. Uh, young people, you are not going to heaven because of your parents. You are not uh, getting into the gate because of who you know, because of what church you're a part of, or any of those other things that we tend to hold on to. Enter in at the straight gate. John 6, 24. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth under everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him that uh, hath God the Father, uh, excuse me, for him hath God the Father sealed. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Folks, strive. Study it out. Ask the questions. Come to a conclusion. You see, here's kind of the idea today. Well, I'm going to dabble a little bit with this, a little bit with this. I'm just kind of having an eclectic uh, uh, approach to this, and, and I'm going to kind of come up with my own philosophy, my own way of thinking. You know, that's why the word repent shows up so much in the Bible. Because at some point, you've got to abandon your way. But, but in, the, in the pursuit ask the questions. Like this man, are there a few that are going to be saved? Ask the questions. Make sure you're striving about it because this is a decision that is going to impact all of eternity. By the way, it's going to impact the rest of your life here on earth. But it's going to impact all of eternity. Make sure you make the right choice. The saved are those who seize the opportunity now and once time for decision is past, attempts to enter into salvation afterwards will be futile. John fourteen six, Jesus answered and said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Listen, no one comes to, Christ, uh, to God except to be by the, the door. The way. Christ. We've got to enter in through the narrow gate, he says. George Wilson in uh, 1830 was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail in Pennsylvania and sentenced to death. Due to his friend's influence, uh, Wilson was pardoned by President Andrew Jackson. Wilson, however, refused the pardon. The issue was brought up to the Supreme Court and was asked uh, uh, how to rule on the case. And and the decision was that if a a prisoner does not accept the pardon, it is not in effect. A pardon is a deed, and to the validity of of which, uh, delivered is essential. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon them. George Wilson must be hanged. Jesus offers a pardon. But let me just say, a pardon can only be uh, come to completion when it's been received. You must receive it. See, and this is the problem. So many things that we hold on to. Well, he can't send us all to hell. He can't punish us all. Or, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm saved because I'm an American. I've heard it all, folks. I've heard all those things. It must be received. Matthew seven thirteen through fifteen. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be, uh, excuse me, many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are, uh, they, are they are wolves. Listen, we must turn to Christ and repent. The final warning in verse twenty-four is that there will come a point when it's too late. Look at verse twenty-four. Strive to enter in. He says, "I say unto you." Uh, 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 or many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Look at verse 25. When, one, uh, when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door, and you begin to stand without and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence ye are. Comes a point when the master closes the door. This is the door of refusal. Daryl Bach, a commentator, said, A door is often an image of entry into the banquet of eschatological blessing at God's palace, or is related to the image of a great wedding. Luke stresses not only that the door is narrow so that people must come in the right way, but also that it it is only open for a short time. There was a famous atheist in the 19th century, Robert... uh, uh, in, in Gressel. And he had a friend named Phillips Brooks, and he, uh, Philip Brooks is the one who wrote the song Little Town of Bethlehem. Brooks was on his deathbed, and his friend Robert uh, wanted to visit him, and he was not seeing visitors, he wasn't taking any visitors, but finally he let his friend uh, Robert come in and visit him, and he said, you know, I just want to thank you, I know you're not seeing visitors, you're not taking people in, and uh, I want to thank you for taking this time uh, to visit with my friend. To which Brooks replied, he said, I'm glad to see you. He said, uh, he said, I'm fairly confident I'm going to see those other people again in the next life. But I'm not so sure I'm going to see you. On his deathbed, he wanted to have one more opportunity to share the gospel with his atheist friend. Verse number 27 But he shall say, I tell you, I know ye not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye that work, uh, uh, all ye workers of iniquity. Remember verse 26. uh, Then they shall begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence. And that was taught in our streets. Those who did not receive Christ are going to hear those words, depart from me. Now think about this. We ate with you, Jesus. We drank with you. We came to your services and heard you teach. Can you, can you hear it all? You see, I, I, I faithfully attended. I was there. I, I, I went to the potlucks. I went to family camp. I was in the services. Can, can you hear it? And Jesus says, I know not whence you come. Why? Because they didn't go in the gate. You know, it amazed me. In John ten, he talks about and he also calls himself the door. And he and he talks about how others try to get in another way. And I've always had in my mind, maybe like a, a castle with high walls, or you know, getting into that celestial city, so to speak, and, and I have in my mind's eye a drawbridge that's down and, and it's a narrow bridge. You, you go across it into the narrow door and, and, and you go in, but it's open. It's there. And I see in my mind these guys that are, they've got those, uh, those little um, uh, uh, hooks on the end of a rope, you know, trying to throw it over the wall and trying to climb. I'm like, why are you guys going through all these efforts to try to get across and climb over when there's a door right there that's open? But folks, that's what we do. No, 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 that door's too easy. This, this is something that, you know, I got to, after all, he said strive to enter in. I got to work at this thing. Strive to make sure that's the right door. Because there's a wrong door. So Christ gives this prophetic response, if you would. Verse 28. By the way, let me just say this. There can be many who knew the door, walked around the door, but failed to enter into the door. When he says, Ye workers of iniquity, the word iniquity means doing it your own way. They try to get in their way. Not yielding to Christ's way. That was kind of the image that's painted with when Paul was so burdened for Israel. My brethren, my prayer and my heart's desire for Israel that they might be saved. For I bear them record, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That they going about to establish their own righteousness have not have failed to, to uh, uh, yield to the righteousness of God which is in Christ Jesus. I love the word, It simply yield. Let it be God's way. Let it be the way that, that, that he's given. I am the way, He said. And, and when we try to work about ourselves, I'm going about to establish my own righteousness. That's why I love Ephesians two, verse number eight and nine. He says, "For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's a gift, not of works. Of, of works, lest any man should what boast. What a weird word to put on there. But you know what we do? We boast. Look at what I've done. Surely I'm getting in. Lord, we ate with you. We drank with you. We heard your teaching. Well, if you're going to rely on that, it's still not enough. It's not of works. What, you believe in free grace? Yes. That's what the word grace means, free. Not deserved. Verse number 28. There should be weeping, gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and ye you yourselves thrust out. The Old Testament prophecies indicate that God would give Israel a window of time to receive salvation through their Messiah. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, the Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me. This is the first sermon Jesus preached. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek and hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Jesus would plead with Israel to accept him as their Messiah and and the choice was ultimately theirs to make. And it says in Luke uh, 19, 42 and through 44, saying, if thou had known, even thou at least in this day, the things which belong to thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes for the days shall come upon thee and thine uh, thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass uh, compass thee round and keep thee in, uh, in on every side and they shall... Uh, excuse me, and they shall lay thee even to the, uh, even the ground, thy children within, and they shall not leave uh, the one stone upon the other, because thou knewest not the time of visitation. This was the time when God was going to visit with his people and give them this extension, give them this opportunity. And they would not. This no doubt was a pronouncement of grief. He warns the unbelieving Drew, uh, Jews, the scriptures make it clear for the unbelieving that are living and uh, that they're living on borrowed time. And Jesus desired a response, not just familiarity. The Bible says this in Second uh, Timothy 3:5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. You see, they were they were very big on claiming. You know, well, we're of Abraham's seed. Surely we're 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 the ones. And yes, they were God's chosen people, uh, but, but He offered them a Messiah you know, that had been promised all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And He said, here's my plan, and, and it's all coming to fruition now, and would you just come? Would you recognize the day that you're in? And they wouldn't. So he, Jesus rejects the second appeal in the most emphatic terms. Luke 6.46 and. Well, he says, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Matthew 7, 21, 22, not everyone that say to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have it not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. John eight twenty one. then said Jesus unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. The door was closing. But you know, it doesn't just end there, this gnashing of teeth and wailing. He gives us provision of grace, verse 29, And they shall come from the east, and from the west, from the north, and the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. I love this. This provision of grace for all that would believe. See, in contrast to those who are, who are absent from the kingdom and are, are those who are present. There are those that are going to be wailing, and there's going to be gnashing and all that, but then there are those that are going to be present. And Gentile believers would now be included. They're going to be coming from the east, and they're going to be coming from the west, and all these the Gentiles are now going to be brought in as the Jews are sitting there saying, what are you talking about from the east and from the west and, and all this? And he says, yeah, yeah, the last are going to be first. And the first is going to be last. What's that about? Well, the, the kingdom offer, it was given to the Jews. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. Hey, he's opened it up, and the Gentiles can come in, the dogs, the last. And he says, come. Ephesians 3, verse 6 through 8, with the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, Of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was a minister according to the gift of grace given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me, whom am less than the least of all saints, is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Hey, it's for anyone who believes, it's for the humble. Jesus closes with the saying that marks the, 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 if you would, reversal. As he describes, the first will be last, and the last will be first. You see, the national pride uh, with the Jews, they're, all, they're always going back to, well, we have Abraham, our father. I love the statement Jesus says to them. He says, don't you understand, before Abraham was, I am. I made Abraham. I saw Abraham. I, 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 was, I, was, I was a part of that whole thing. And, and, and they would look to those kinds of things. And he says, you don't understand. Uh, remember what we saw there just a minute ago. He says, they're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets. They're going to see all of them in the kingdom. And they're going to be without. Why? Simply because they rejected God's plan. Matthew 3, 8 through 10. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, I, have Abraham, to our father, for I say unto you that God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also uh, uh, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Romans 2, in verse 11 and 12, For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. You see, some Gentiles who are distant are going to end up near. And many Jews are going to miss the promised kingdom as those were around Jesus, hearing his teachings, visiting with him, following him, seeing the miracles. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, guys, some of you are missing it. Some of you are missing it. Can you imagine sitting there and hearing that message? You see, people may desire to have an eternity with God, but they don't pursue it. They don't go after it. They don't make sure that, that they're, that they're going to enter in the right way. And, and here's what I say to you. If you're a skeptic today, good. I love skeptics. We ought to take our questions and run them through Scripture. We ought to take our questions and, and, and find, find out which is this narrow gate. Because broad is the way it leads to destruction heard of a church one time there called Broadway Broadway Community Church or something like that because their church was on the road Broadway. And I thought, that's a horrible name. <laughs> it's a horrible name. Folks, it is narrow. I know we live in a day of pluralism and inclusivity and all, this, all of these things. As long as you're genuine, as long as your heart's in the right place, I want to tell you, based on the authority of the Word of God, none of our hearts start out in the right place. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what we need? We need a heart transplant. Like in the prophet Ezekiel, when God says, I will remove from them their heart of stone and will give them a heart of flesh. Folks, we need a heart transplant. We need to see things from God's perspective. And I asked the question as I shared about the the sermon I was listening to. uh, Do you have a biblical worldview? Is the Bible your final authority? Have you come to the place where you said, God is right and I am wrong? That's what God calls us to. As I've just been following this text, I'm going to say this. I don't have 10 points of application from this passage here, but I do have this challenge. And here's the challenge for us personally, and the challenge is for our hearts. First of all, have you entered in the straight gate? Folks, that's a question we ought to keep visiting and keep visiting. As as some of you can attest, there was a time when I thought I was saved. There was a time when I was faithful and I was was there all the time. And then then one day I realized, one day my eyes were open and I realized I had not entered in God's way. Hey, praise God for that illumination, for for your eyes to be opened. But we ought to all be asking ourselves, what are my excuses? What are the things that, that, that I say, well, no, I'm good because... What are you good because of? What is it that you're holding on to? Say, I'm going in because of this. Does it line up with Scripture? Are you saved for a Bible reason? That's between you and God. You've got to figure it out. Strive. Agonize. And make sure you're entering in the right way. And the second thing is, and boy, it burdens my heart. Lord, are there few that be saved? I read that passage about Jesus looking on the multitude because they were scattered. Right after that, Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers into his harvest. Folks, there are not few that'll be saved because there's not many out there to get saved. There are few to be saved For several reasons. The hardness of hearts. I think another great reason is this the laborers are few. How then shall they hear without a preacher? And it's not talking about a position of a preacher, it's talking about an action. It's talking about you. How are your coworkers going to hear unless the gospel's preached? How are your neighbors going to hear unless it's preached? How are your children going to hear unless it's preached? How should they hear without a preacher? That's, that's, that's the burden of my heart. Did you know that's the only passage that you're going to find a prayer request that Jesus makes of us? He had one prayer request for us. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. He sent forth laborers into his harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. What happens if you don't have enough laborers to bring in the harvest? Does anybody know what happens on the farm? It rots. The door will eventually close. And that's it. I don't know if you've seen the news lately. The door is closing. Boy, that should be burdening us. Let well, me we have a word of prayer. You've listened so well today, especially young people that are here today. Our Father, this uh, this verse, I know it's echoing in my mind. Are there few that will be saved, and how it must burden your heart, Lord? That you went through such great lengths to redeem mankind. And so often we get so distracted. We get our eyes on so many other things. Father, I pray for two things for our church. I pray, first of all, that if there's anyone here that is not entering in the straight gate, They're not saved a Bible way, Lord. I pray that you'd burden their heart, help them to see their need for salvation, that they would do it God's way. And secondly, Lord, would you burden our hearts realizing that every soul we come in contact with is a prospect for the gospel. And you've put us here for such a time as this. May we be ready always to give an answer to anyone that asks the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. We're working our hearts today. I pray these things. Before I say the final amen, I just want to give a brief invitation. Maybe you're here and you say, Preacher, that's me. I, uh, I don't know if I'm entering into the straight gate. I don't know if I fully understand the gospel. I'd like to know. The Bible says that you can know for sure that you have eternal life. 1 John 5. Nobody's looking around right now, heads are bowed. Would you just slip your hand in the air so I can pray for you? I want to know who you are, and I want to pray for you, and I will pray for you. If you just slip your hand in the air, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to send anyone to bother you. I just want to know who you are so I can pray for you and and maybe follow up with you at a later time. But boy, this is the most important issue of your life. I'd love to pray for you. Anybody at all? Just a moment. Anybody at all? Don't miss the gate. Don't miss the opportunity. Lord, you see the hearts of your people. Father, I pray that every one of us would be responsive to to how you may have spoken today in a variety of ways. And may we be found obedient, Lord. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I sure appreciate you, church. And I just, uh, I want to say... some people try to make a salvation message out of every single passage of Scripture that I don't think necessarily is there. But I do want to say this, that when, when it's there, we ought to capitalize on it and be challenged with it again and reminded of it again. Paul over and over talked about the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And after a whole book of correction in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, he says, now let me tell you about the gospel. The gospel save people right we need to be challenged with it over and over again i sure appreciate you all and thanks for being out here today tonight at six o'clock would love to have you come join us uh, for our evening service and god bless you all you are dismissed i hope you enjoy your lord's day